Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm hanging out in chilly Chicago, and by the time this episode comes out, it will be official, but it's been a year that we have been in this pandemic. Yeah, so just wanted to take a breath there. I wanted to, I don't know, man, I don't even know what to say or what to do about it, you know kind of at this point, I'm definitely feeling the burnout. I miss my friends so much. I was watching a TV show the other day, saw this girl in a bar, crowded bar, people bumping up against each other, loud noise. And I hate being around a ton of people in crowded places. But I saw that and I got so sad and I wanted to be there so bad. Does anybody else feel like that? I just miss life. I miss my friends. I miss being around people. But I'm really, really glad to be around you. Thank you for being here. And I hope that our podcast can be a bit of a bright spot in this just insane, crazy world that we're living in right now. Before I tell you about today's amazing, incredible, beautiful, wonderful guest, and I'm serious about all those adjectives, <laughs> let me tell you about a couple things. So I'd love, love, love if you would be willing to rate and review us on Apple Podcast. So if you have an iPhone, you click the little purple podcast doodle. Maybe that's where you're listening. I listen on Spotify, but it sounds like a lot of people listen on Apple Podcast. You click on that little doodle. And then find Conversations with the Wounded Healer and you scroll all the way down and you'll see a place where you can add stars and you can also write a little something. And it really helps with the visibility of the show. So if you love this show, I would love to hear what you love. Tell me what's cool about it or tell me what you hate about it too if you want to, but I'm not going to want to read that. But anyway, <laughs> you can also share this podcast with a friend. That is an awesome way to support us. If you have any sort of financial means with which you would like to support us, you can find us on Patreon as Conversations with the Wounded Healer, and you can donate as little as a dollar a month. And I swear every little bit helps. And anybody who subscribes to Patreon now, I am sending you a little welcome gift. Wink, wink. You'll love it. I think. <laughs> you can also connect with me on my favorite social media platform, which is Instagram. And our handle is at Head Heart Therapy. Okay, so that is all the advertising stuff. Now, let me tell you about today's guest. This conversation was one of those that feels like it was life-changing. And it's not even, I don't know, it's not even that the content of what we talked about was life-changing. I think just the connection that Davia and I have, it was just beautiful and Andrea, my editor, makes fun of me all the time for the love fest that I have with my guests. But seriously, like this is literally the most fun thing that happens is when I meet new people and I can just tell that they are going to be someone who is in my life. So you get to hear all of that unfold before your ears. So let me tell you about Dr. Davia J. Crutchfield, Ph.D. She is the creator and co-founder of And Black. And as a cultural researcher, she presents, through Kendrick Lamar's lyrics, how secular rap music serves as a cultural and spiritually empowering tool in the Black community. She incorporates cultural and personal experiences of race, sex, gender, spirituality, and love through storytelling, written poetry, and spoken word. And we didn't talk even about any of that, you guys. <laughs> 
I don't even know how we got on what we got on. Just kidding. I do know. I love to talk about anti-racism. So we just dug in really deep. And this conversation is really, really, really meaningful to me. You know, Davia has said since that it was really meaningful to her. And I really hope for y'all that it's going to be meaningful for you, too. So please enjoy my incredible life-changing conversation with Dr. Davia Crutchfield. Dr. Davia Crutchfield, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you for bringing me on. I can't believe we were just having a conversation right before we started recording that you live in my hometown. Right. right. I love those like random, what seems random, connected moments like, oh, that felt good. This is one of those meant to be nuggets. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're right, right? on the right path. Like, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. And and we got connected through Ashley Solomon, who mm-hmm. is a friend of a friend of mine, and we were joking about, you know, how I moved from Cincinnati to Chicago and she moved from Chicago to Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> All these little connections. I love it. And the way she and I met, I think I made a post on Harness Community. I think that's what its social media handle is. And then she commented on it. And that's how she and I got connected, found out she too was in Cincinnati. It was just one of those like, the world seems so big and yet so intimate at the same time. Yeah, yeah. That was a good intimate moment. Instagram is really, truly one of the best connectors. Mm -hmm. It really is. I have found so many cool people there. Mm -hmm. I'm really digging my global community here. (laughs) Right. Well, speaking of community, let's have you tell people who you are and what you do, because that's what you do is build community, right? It is. I am Dr. Davia Crutchfield. I am the creator and co-founder of And Black, and we are a virtual community of thinkers, artists, professionals, essentially a safe haven for creatives who have just been really tired of being crunched in the boxes. And so just a little quick backstory, it was actually started off as a group between myself, my brother, and two of our cousins that we all grew up as siblings, essentially. Um, We're very, very close. And we spent some time just in a group chat, encouraging each other to step out the box, you know, live your life boldly. And we all felt really connected in that space of not just that we grew up together and, you know, we have a friendship within our familial relationship, but also the fact that we also felt like we were the only person that was like us in a room. Mm -hmm. And we always felt like we had to put that moniker on the back of like, but this is my Black experience and it may not look like somebody else's Black experience. And so Mm -hmm. that really forged the collective of creating and Black because we can't possibly be the only people who feel Mm -hmm. like we're the only ones. And so we're really intentional about creating that space across the internet, across the globe. That's our objective outreach to really create this global space of individuals self-defining themselves and their experiences. And at the same time, just ushering in positivity, ushering in wholeness, ushering in wellness, especially in an environment like the world we live in that's always inundated with so much negative. We're so intentional about bringing some positivity and some love back to the Mm -hmm. forefront. What does it look like concretely? Like what happens in the community? We're budding and we're building. So we're thinking of doing, you know, more of an outreach type of initiative. But our small seed steps have just been creating a website. And in that space of our website, we showcase different artistry of people who are within our community. So sometimes we get that like, well, how do you join? Like, Mm -hmm. just be you. You don't come on Mm -hmm. in type thing Um, to stay connected. We do have social media handle on Instagram. It's Visit and Black. And really just to join, quote unquote, just like us, follow us and just get yourself motivated and encouraged in that way. Mm. But we're really just in those formative steps of branching out so that we can really build those very organic connections Mm. as we continue to just create conversation and just find and create that safe haven place for people to be comfortable being themselves. 
Mm, that's so wonderful. I, I'm in a liberation-focused training right now that Ooh. I think a lot of folks in that training might be really interested in this. So if it's okay with you, I'll post on our little message board and send people your way. Yes, please. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I love the liberation training. I felt like I spent a lot of my life in my conscious adult life trying to get to spaces of freedom. Yeah. And so the fact that there are these avenues now where people can collectively seek those spaces of freedom together, I think that is just magnificent. Mm -hmm. That's encouraging. Yeah. I want to talk more about you, but I'm also like just thinking like globally, the shift that happened over this past summer, right? We're recording in 2021, but the shift that happened, like there's never been a time when people had time on their hands. Oh my God. Like, I'm guessing that that was really what shifted, right? And now people are finally like, oh, I need to be paying attention to this racism stuff. Yeah. It's really bizarre at the same time when you go like some people's everyday lived experiences. Right. Like it's not a foreign concept to so many, but for some that we are in community with, especially in our professional spaces. I eat white folks. <laughs> What has transpired yeah. in the world has been like eye-opening for others. And some of us are just sitting back here shaking our hands like, how have you not seen it? How have you not realized it? And I realized it was some of the fact that because you didn't have to, yes. you didn't have to. It's not your lived experience. And though we have like the great resource of the internet, mm -hmm. you can literally cultivate and create an environment where you can keep yourself boxed in and closeted in and you don't have to be exposed to Right. what is happening in other spaces for other people. But I'm like, these aren't silo experiences. We're literally all having these overlapping real life face-to-face -face encounters. And I remember sending an email out. It wasn't the end of last year. It was actually this year, maybe? Oh my gosh. I think it was right after the insurrection took place. Mm -hmm. And I got really frustrated with the fact that my company did not send anything out. <gasps> and I was just Sitting in the bed, overwhelmed by the fact that so many people in positions of power are pretending like it's business as usual. Keep making sales. Keep doing your data entry. Keep, you know, fixing your dinner in between doing your laundry and writing a report and going to school. Like, this is not okay. And on top of all of us going through this very lived, very varied pandemic experience, because, you know, mm -hmm. everybody's experiencing some different aspects and avenues within the space of the pandemic. Like, this is not normal. We're in crisis. We're still in crisis. We're in crisis. Yes. And I'm like, there are more crises taking place in the midst of this global crisis. And it was just so overwhelming that I sent an email out. Good. And part of that email, and I sent it to some members of my team, which I think it got to HR because mm -hmm. through the end of the day, like our CEO ended up sending out an email. I won't say I prompted it, but I was like, kind of like, I wouldn't be surprised if you got my <laughs> email mm -hmm. some roundabout mm -hmm. way. But it was seriously talking about like race, what's taking place politically, the mental health and the fatigue that we're really experiencing and being ignored. Mm -hmm. Like we're constantly on call, constantly on Zoom, constantly accessible via email. Mm -hmm. And how do you have a conversation with somebody that you're ignoring their very basic human experience? Mm -hmm. It got to a head for me and I had to address that. And I was like, you know, I had an experience here just on my lunch break where I was less than a mile from work and a man pulled up to me in a truck and called me the N-word. No. Fuck. I'm on my lunch break. I'm on my Fuck. lunch break. And so- Damn it, Fairfield. And like, and so I have to go get my lunch and I go back to work. 
But this is what I experienced on my lunch break. So I'm like, it's not a foreign concept. Right. And so I had to share that in that email so that people really understood. Mm. We're in a very racially charged area in a very mm. racially charged climate. Some of us, what was once like a closeted conversation, we're having in grocery stores. Like the crisis, the crisis is emotional. The crisis is financial. The crisis is spiritual. Mm-hmm. Pretending like it's not going on is unacceptable and irresponsible. And so that was like the heart of my message in that capacity. Like, we need to have a conversation. You can't pretend like it doesn't exist. At the very least, you need to acknowledge it and Mm -hmm. state what side you're on. Right. Yeah. I lived in Fairfield for, I guess I lived 18 years. And then I went to college down the street to Oxford (laughs) in Miami, Miami University. And I remember when I moved to Chicago was the first time I started putting the pieces together mm-hmm. about like racism and and this is so fucking naive and, and I don't want to center myself too much for this but my experience of looking at what was going on in Chicago not Chicago is the most segregated city in fucking America so mm. we're not perfect but I at least got to like learn more and understand more and then looking back at what was going on at home I was like this is like way more racist than I ever knew mm-hmm. this talked about my my great fucking grandfather was in the kkk wow and the way that that like trickled down in our family it was it just like you said it's like we just didn't talk about it right Mm. nobody was educating us i certainly didn't get any of that at miami where they were like oh we're all about diversity well i didn't fucking get it i didn't learn it Mm -hmm. again i'm like i don't want to make this about me it's more of just like i'm kind of processing in real time Mm -hmm. a retrospective Mm -hmm. on my like childhood And now you're experiencing all of this in real time in the most, I think for our generation, anyway, I'm assuming you're sort of around my age, at least like for our generation, this is the biggest, I guess, like most salient, like you said, racial reckoning we've ever had. Like we weren't, I wasn't alive in the sixties, right? You know, it's, Mm -hmm. and I can only imagine what it must be like to, you know, I hear this like call for authenticity, Mm -hmm. right? It's not fucking safe where you are. Yep. After the election, I had a project going on at the Contemporary Art Museum, and I knew I needed to go pick up supplies. And I was terrified to leave the house. Of course you were. I was having an anxiety attack. And then so my fiance drove, really, at the end of the day, I I don't like to drive, so he drives anyway. But it was just one of those, like, I did not feel safe going out by myself. That was, I can't even explain that type of traumatic emotional encounter. It was so much. And I I did not even want to separate from him in the store Mm -hmm. because I did not want to be by myself. And I wonder, uh, my fiance is white and we have conversations on a regular basis. Like, where can we move? Where is it going to be safe to raise our children? Where can we go? I don't know. Like, The idea of raising our kids here, like if we were worst case scenario forced to stay in this area, then I'm just speaking like very broad spectrum, general terms, like forced, quote unquote, to stay in this area. Right. Like there's no way we could do it. There's no way we could do it. I'm not surprised. And there's also a shock element to this because it's like, why the fuck hasn't anything changed? Mm. 
the answer is duh, white supremacy. Mm-hmm. But it's so interesting. I, I I watch a lot of my friends on Facebook who were from Fairfield, and then a lot of them moved to the city. They moved to Cincinnati. And, you know, watching the divide of who shifted into more of a liberal, like, worldview mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. who stayed, right, with the more conservative worldview. And I feel like from what I've, you know, just my curse review on Facebook, it feels like the folks who stayed often are more conservative. And right now it is unsafe for any person of color, mm-hmm. any LGBT person, like, right, any trans person to be in a super conservative area. I feel so deeply in my soul that experience that you're saying of like, literally your soul is not even safe here. Mm-hmm. I have to do a lot of inner work just to keep myself in a place of peace and to keep myself in a safe space for myself to grow. <sighs> Cause like, I'm still on my whole life journey too. You know what I mean? So I have to be very, very, very intentional about what I feed myself. I was talking to a girlfriend of mine the other day, and she had asked if I had watched Judas and the Black Messiah yet. And I haven't as badly as I want to. And I said, I can't right now because I can't take in any more Black death. I can't take it in. And so a lot of what I engage with, like just for a place of a social, you know, like, like I, you know how you want to be alert and you want to be aware and you want to contribute to the conversation and all of that, there are certain spaces that I have to retreat from because I can't take it anymore. And the stimulation is everywhere. Everywhere. The stimulation is everywhere. And so um, my cousin and I were just in conversation last week, getting back to some very foundational strengthening building spaces with Mm. Anne Black. And I'm like, I really want to be very intentional and responsible to making sure that what we put out from us does something to heal, does something to help, does something to uplift and edify because there's just so much stimulation, so much negativity. And it's a reality and it's not to disengage from the reality, but if we can find a way to really bring some light to the darkness, Mm -hmm. that's going to be the very specific voice that we bring to a conversation. So it's the pressure of being aware Mm -hmm. and still being able to speak life and speak light inside, outside. Like, I can't edify you if I can't build myself up. And just being very intentional about building up of self in a, in a healthy way, because you don't want to let the bitterness and the hatred seep in, you know? And so even as you and I discuss, it feels so good to have a us conversation, mm. you know, not a, about me, about, you know, an us conversation yeah, yeah. about some real tangible ways to walk away from it mm-hmm. that can go back and help my communal space help your communal space, help our communal space. And that I think is what's going to be one of the most powerful factors. Like we talk about telling the truth, being transparent. We talk about accountability. We talk about awareness. That all has to have some semblance of truth and love to it. Because without it, we're just tossing hate and blame back and forth. And I find that some of the conversations, I try to stay out of comments when I read on certain posts because I'm like, What did that contribute in a way that's going to actually transform this moment? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, what is what is your contribution to transforming this moment? And it's not to scapegoat. It's not to pretend like Mm. what is transpiring isn't transpiring. That doesn't bring growth. That doesn't bring truth. That doesn't bring awareness. But it's going to take for more people who pretend like they don't see it to see it clearly and to call it out like. Right. That's going to be the stand up and truth moment. You know what right. I mean? Because just posting a comment on Facebook, no matter how woke you are, that's not the work. 
Right. It's part, right? Obviously, like call out racism, like whatever, Mm -hmm. do those things. But that is not necessarily the work. And I also wanted to comment on the way that you talk about Anne Black. One of my beautiful friends, Michelle Winston, who's just uh, her episode was just released this week. Mm. She said this and it's she didn't make it up, but I'm just feeling into this as you talk like she's like black people playing is resistance. Black people making love is Mm -hmm. resistance. Black Resting is res- right, all playing and creating, right? That is mm-hmm. all resistance. And so, I, your work is the work, mm-hmm. but that's not the anti racism work. Mm-hmm. You're doing a different type of liberation. Oh, I receive that. <laughs> I receive that. Being very intentional, you know, we hear the terms of like black joy, mm-hmm. and some just don't understand, like, okay, but why is this important? Yes. Because our joy had to be pocketed in the spaces that were not allowed to be expressed out loud. Right. Like, you ever wonder who told you that your voice was too loud or your laugh was not welcomed here or that you were only allowed to partake in your gifts and your talents if it was for the consumption of somebody else? It's very important to be able to bring that back into self and to feed Mm -hmm. yourself the goodness that you were given. Like, I love that. Rest is essential. It's an essential human need, but especially in how we rest from our day-to-day intake of stuff that really just eats at our soul and our spirit. So I I totally am one of those people who support like taking social media fast. Mm. Absolutely. I totally believe in disengagement. I will put my phone on do not disturb. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and you know, it becomes a joke with some of our friends like, oh, well, we might have to send her a text. So she she might not get the phone call. Because a ring of phone can give me anxiety if I hear it too much. Because yeah. it means somebody else needs access to me in this moment. And I have to be accessible to myself right now. Mm-hmm. In this little liberation focused thing, it's uh, Shauna Marie Brown. I love her. Have you heard of her? No, but I'm about to write her name down. She's a therapist in Baltimore and an educator, activist, all of these things. And that she's the one who's doing the course. It's decolonizing therapy for Black folks. And we have little growth pods. So it's three of us and we were exchanging messages and I was just explaining how weary I was this week, just feeling like I need to disengage, but at the same time feeling guilty that if I disengage, I'm doing it wrong. Like Mm. then I'm not doing the work. And one of the gals reminded me like, when you tap out, somebody else is tapping in. That's good. It's a constant cycle, right? If we're all committed, then we do have to rest and Mm -hmm. we get to rest too. (laughs) Right. You know, because if we burn ourselves out, then we're no good to the cause either. Right. Right. I think back to something I read just yesterday. Like, if you don't want to be burned out, you have to stop living your life like you're on fire. Ooh, shit. And so I felt like that was just one of those very eye-opening moments Mm -hmm. of like that self-permissibility to take your rest and to take a nap, to take your rest, decompress. Mm -hmm. Don't clean the kitchen. Enjoy being in the kitchen. Mm. You don't have to write for somebody else. Write for you. Like, Having those really, I don't know if some people refer to it as self-help type moments, but that therapy for self in that space to be able to cater to and tend to your own needs. Self-love shows up very differently for others. For some, it's just, you know, telling the truth about a situation. For some, it is taking a bubble bath. But for some, it is really just stepping away from all responsibility and obligation and learning just how to enjoy being in your skin again. And I feel like one of the things that has generated from, I don't know what exactly to call what it is that we're in, is that people being very direct about what their needs are. 
And in that, I'm recognizing that one of my needs is to be okay with just being by myself and to pull away and to step away so that I can learn how to care for myself in this space because I haven't been in this space like this before. I love that you're giving yourself permission, right? Because Mm -hmm. white supremacy tells us that we don't have permission for these things, right? And that's Mm. like, it manifests differently for white people and people of color. And that is the resistance. I get to rest. I don't even need to earn it. I just get to. It is a divine human right to rest. Mm -hmm. That is so good. I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, I love this conversation. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I'm just like rambling. So (laughs) It's beautiful. You're going to listen back to this and be like, oh, I'm smart. Hey, (laughs) I do that sometimes. I'm like, oh, yeah. Like when I hear my own disembodied voice, I'm like, oh, yeah, that bitch knows some shit. (laughs) She was talking. That was good. (laughs) I'm going to use that. Oh, wait, it's my words. Okay, cool. That's good. Well, let's shift into the the healer talk. I'm curious mm-hmm. your answer. Would you consider yourself a healer? Absolutely. I took a feminist and womanist approach to healing course while I was at Howard University some years back. And it was through the Divinity School. And when I tell you that was one of the most transformational experiences of my entire life, mm. not just in what I learned from an academic standpoint, mm-hmm. but what I also gleaned of myself in that process. And it totally shifted the way in which I talk about me. And I really feel like I started to transform a bit there because one of the things that I stepped away with, we went around in a circle and all declared some things that we were going to take back. Like, what was something that I relinquished that I want to take back? And in that experience, I was like, it was my voice. I realized that I have shifted how I engage, how I talk, my tone of voice, how loudly I laugh, because I was always concerned about making other people uncomfortable. And so part of my healing work is to be comfortable with me. I listened to a clip from Toni Morrison yesterday and somebody, I think Oprah had asked her like, well, how did you become, you know, you? Like, how did you get to this place of you? And she said, I'm very comfortable with my flaws as much as I am with my gifts. That woman owned herself. Mm. It is my goal to own me, Mm. to own myself. That is a pull quote right there, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) and everyone in between that Wow. I want to own me. Yes. And do well by me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. I love it so much. And there was a reading today that was all about like not having to accept unacceptable behavior, Mm -hmm. but we often accept our unacceptable behavior towards ourselves. And so this shift of I'm no longer going to take those voices who say my laugh's too loud. Like, it's so funny that you say that in particular because I have a really loud laugh, if you haven't noticed. I welcome it. Yeah, right? When I was younger, people used to say, that's too loud. You're distracting, right? You're pulling focus. I wasn't trying to get attention by fucking laughing. I just laughed loud. Right. Like, how dare somebody ever tell you your laugh was too loud? It's so weird. I can't even go back to who said it first. Or like, you know, that origin story of it all. But I know that I practice functionalizing dysfunction. And part Mm. of that dysfunction was editing myself down so much to make myself so palatable to whomever else was around me. But then I got really uncomfortable being by myself because I felt like I was always 
self-editing to figure out how I'd be best innocent. Like I'm by myself. Why am I, why am I so uncomfortable? Why do I feel like I'm under surveillance? Why do I feel like I have to monitor and maneuver in a way that is receptive to somebody else? That's not a place of wholeness. And no wonder I was in my mid twenties still seeking permission for certain things, not for, you know, whether or not I could go out or what to wear, but I was seeking permissibility to be me, to pursue what I wanted to pursue to walk in footsteps that, shoot, maybe I have to make them for myself instead of walking down paths to someone else had a space of expectation for me. I kept looking for freedom. I was so committed to the idea of the moment I have a daughter, I'm naming her Liberty because she will never have to live her life trying to find her own freedom. I can't give you what I can't get for myself. So that became my mission. That became my mission to rename myself in a space. Liberty starts here. It starts here in my heart. It starts here in my mind. Chills, fucking chills. And what I'm also really leaning into is what you're describing is a quote unquote universal human experience. A lot of people Mm. have this. And then we put the race layer on top of it. Mm. And it's even more difficult for you to wade through all of that. Mm. You know, I asked some friends of mine, like, do you see yourself as a black Christian woman? Like, how do you name yourself? Mm. Is it a Black Christian woman? Is it a Christian Black woman? Like, what hits you first? Mm. And the answers varied and went back and forth. And I've even, you know, played around with it a little bit in my mind. But to me, the it all comes together because they're all so interwoven in my personal experience. Like, they all hold the same line for me. Mm. And though they hold that same line for me, the Black part comes first. And I wanted to ask why and not in a like challenge because I want you to say more about it. Yeah. Why does black come first? I think that I want to say it's my lens. Mm -hmm. It's my culture. It is my experience. It's such a part of my foundation. Mm. You know, it is so ingrained in my identity that to dismiss it or move it Mm -hmm. anywhere in the way in which I define myself seems unrighteous. And I love that you said unrighteous. And I also, if this is okay, I want to point out like to not say you're black first is unrighteous. And then to put Christianity in there, like white supremacy took the God outside of us, Mm -hmm. right? The fucking Holy Spirit is within. Mm -hmm. God is inside of all of us. So it's good to put black first because God is already there. You don't even need to put Christian in it because God is already there. It's so powerful to say that, especially when you think about specifically Christian religious spaces that constantly try to Mm -hmm. pretend like race is a distraction. Right. Or I remember being at a church. It was one of those non-denominational, multiracial churches. And it was led at the time by a white male pastor. He and his wife, you know, were, um, were leading the church. And most of the pastoral makeup were friends of theirs that all match their demographic, all match their background experiences for the most part. And I remember it was after, I want to say it was after the death of Trayvon Martin. I went to church and the pastor made a statement, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm not jacking up the timeline, but for, in my mind, this all goes together. Sure. The pastor made a statement about when we walk through the door, we take our culture off. No, 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 bad, bad, wrong. And that like, when you come through here, we're all Christian. And I was just like, here I am entering into another space where you're telling me that my Blackness is not qualified. My Blackness is not accepted. My Blackness is a distraction. And I realized like, this is not a multi 
racial, multi-ethnic, no. It's not safe. This is another space that really is designed to make, quote unquote, conservative white people comfortable praising next to people that don't look like them. And I can't be a part of whatever your process is right now because I'm here because my for my own soul space. This is doing damage to me. I can't be here. And so I stopped coming to this church. I stopped attending the church. But I realized like, how many spaces have I been in mm. where my Blackness was criminalized to some extent? My Blackness made me suspicious. My Blackness intimidated some other people. And I had to realize there's a difference between me being intimidating and other people being intimidated. That's not my responsibility. Stop there right now. Say that again, because people need to hear it. There's a difference between me being intimidating and somebody being intimidated. And that's not my responsibility. That's not my responsibility. Like I had to start to learn what my boundaries were. Mm -hmm. And what I was not going to do. So, yeah, it's important for me to self-define myself as a Black woman and let that Black shine bright with a capital B. It was important to do that for me because I was not going to be a space where my Black was pushed to the side. Like, I was not going to create that within myself. So that was important for me in my own space of of self-identity to do that for me. Mm. Do that for myself. Talk about liberty. Come on. Mm -hmm. That is it. Like, oh, And can I tell you some fuck shit that went on on my Facebook the other day Mm. that is around this topic? So I think it was July or something I posted. I think it's like eight different types of of whiteness. And it was, you know, all the way from people who are overtly racist to colorblind, then to being like an ally and an accomplice and all that sort of right. So like looking at that and some white guy and and let's be honest, I don't ever want to be a dick on Facebook being a therapist, being a spiritual person. I don't want to be a dick. And yet, if you post some fuck shit on my wall, if you come into my space and center your whiteness and try to whitewash shit, I am going to fuck shit up. He posted a video. He's like, stop calling white people white because we're not actually white. And he posted a video. (laughs) I wish you were concerned. I know, right? And then he posted a video that he made where his thesis is essentially that we should be calling white people like whatever color they actually are. So he's like, I'm closer to the color of my khakis than I am to, you know, a white sheet of paper. Like, what kind of fuck shit is this? And I said to him, I said, this is still whitewashing. This is still taking a person of color's experience and trying to make it your own. And this is not acceptable. You need to learn some shit about like what whiteness is. And he responded because and I gave him a podcast to listen to. And he's like, I've already listened to that podcast. Yeah, it was really good. But some of it was problematic. And I'm like, no, no, no. What you're doing is fucking problematic. There it is. Right. Right. Can you like, are you are you speechless right now? I am. I'm baffled. And not because I'm surprised. It's just more so like the audacity. The audacity. Audacity for a white man to be like, you know, you know what this conversation needs? It needs my white perspective on why I'm not white. (laughs) So we're not talking about systems. We're not talking about structures. We're not talking about schemas. No, 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 no. We're going to make it very soul surfaced that I'm going to compare my skin tone to my britches. Right. But he was saying that that was having a more nuanced conversation. No. Right. (laughs) And I really just want to be like, and that does what? Right. 
That was your way of helping how. Like you said earlier, how does this move the conversation forward? Because like the whole point of having the conversation Mm -hmm. is to expand. Mm -hmm. It's for spaces of exposure. It's for spaces of awareness. That's the whole point, to open up perspectives, to give lenses. What am I supposed to gauge from that lens? Like, what am I supposed to do with that? I feel like... (laughs) As much as I love, as folks call Beyonce's internet, as much as I love Beyonce's internet, (laughs) I get really annoyed Mm. by so many people tossing chatter. It's so junk mail. It's so junk mail. It is. And then the other part of it, I'm like, if you can get on social media, that means you have access to an internet browser. You could type in a search word and look for resources. Like, you have this tool at your disposal. Mm Mm-hmm. You can stop being a tool and use a tool. <laughs> that is a quote right there. You need to fucking really? put that shit on your Instagram. Stop being a tool and use a tool. Fucking like, make that meme right now. I'm just like, you have an ability to really get answers. Outlook, if you really wanted to, you don't want to. Mm-hmm. No, you just want right. to muddy up the conversation. I've never seen so many people so eager mm-hmm. to toss dirt and junk and bags and shit into a creek and then complain about a creek being dirty. Like you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Well, and bringing this back to Christianity, like he, I looked at the rest of his YouTube videos, and most of them are very Christian focused, and it just made me think. Go back to like the origins of white supremacy within the Christian church, right? And this whole, like, you know, your experience of being whitewashed and not, you have to stop being a black person when you walk through Mm. this door. Like, okay, I'm not a white person. I'm a Manila person. I'm a khaki person, (laughs) right? I'm a peach person. What? And then I wonder, like, because a lot of it is repetition. A lot of it is something that somebody said and you just repeating shit. Okay, got it. But if you really at the heart of your so-called Christian experience. And I get it. This is my opinion. Fine. I own it. What was the life of Christ like? Right? What was the life of Christ like? Because we talk about being Christians. I grew up a Baptist, went to a predominantly white Catholic school. Mm. That right there is a whole thesis in and of itself, what that was like. And so like being in these spaces, long story short, I'm not foreign to the concept of being in a space, sitting next to people who claim to be a Christian too, then hate my guts simply because I look like myself. Yep. Hate my absolute guts. And then I'm like, you know, people use God's name to do a lot of things. Can I say though, they're they're not actually hating you. They're hating a projection of what they think you are because of our societal bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. I guess that's another piece that I really want, want to give space to like hit very deeply. They're not, mm-hmm. they're not even fucking seeing you. They see a cardboard cutout of what they think is a black person. Which it's so frustrating. Of course. It's so frustrating that you are operating, not just in general you, mm-hmm. that you'll operate in a way in which you see a person mm-hmm. and then displace their whole personhood mm-hmm. and impose your perceptions of what your assumptions are of their personhood and then still use your tongue to talk about the very intimate and personal relationship that Christianity is supposed to be. Well, we're not taught how to see people because we're not taught how to see ourselves. Mm. Where do you get an emotional education? You're supposed to get it at home 
uh, my fucking parents were so emotionally immature. Mm. There was no way they were going to teach me how to understand my inner life. Mm. Where's the fucking school for that? Knowing yourself. Mm. We're not encouraged to do so. No, because then we can't be controlled. That is so deep. (laughs) That is so freaking deep. You took me there. That is so freaking deep. (laughs) I'm just sitting here like, I feel like we just need to hit pause for a second so I can sit (laughs) Yeah, take your time. But it's true, right? We're not taught how to see ourselves, especially in the way in which if we say we truly believe like God made me specially and formally and with attention and God made me beautifully and wonderfully, we regurgitate and repeat, but it's not internalized. Mm -mm. We're not taught to really hone in and internalize that. Mm -hmm. Because if we really believe that about ourselves, it wouldn't be a foreign concept to believe that about somebody else. Right. Well, we objectify ourselves and other people. How is it that we're not taught to properly see ourselves, but at the same time taught to be like (laughs) so (laughs) self-centered? It's narcissism. And it's not narcissism in like this classical, like, you know, Trump is a narcissist, right? Like he's like the most dangerous type of obvious narcissist. Mm. And what narcissism really is, is a lack of knowing the inner self. It's being shallow. It's being superficial. So that is rewarded because if I'm not in touch with my inner life, I'm not going to look at what's going on around me. It's not going to affect me. I will Mm. then be productive. If I start looking in my inner life, I realize it's fucking painful to go with the grind the way that I've been invited to. And then Mm. I want to slow down. Then I want to take the fucking nap. Mm -hmm. Then I want to go experience some pleasure, right? And that's not productive. Damn. That is deep. (laughs) That was good. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. That was good. It's not like I've been sitting around like coming up with this thesis, but as we're having this conversation, this is what's coming to me. Like this is the connection. And truly, honestly, I've just really started understanding the connection between racism and capitalism and and how all of it fits together. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm just kind of going, this is what's inside mm-hmm. me right now. How is it when you do with all that you've experienced, all that you learn? the conversations you have, the work you do when you go home and not even if like a physical return, but like engaging with people that you may have grown up with. What is that like for you? I honestly have had to let so many relationships go because I can't, I can't do that. I mean, that's what my family asks of me is to abandon what I know to be true. I might start crying. We'll see. But what I've been like, I've been doing a really deep dive into developmental trauma and my family, the trauma was very completely invisible. I didn't even know I really had trauma until like three years ago. And my therapist was like, we're making the invisible visible now. And what I came to this week was like, I fucking knew it. I always knew this. I always knew what was true. And they kept telling me I was wrong. They kept telling me I was crazy. Mm-hmm. But I was always right. And I don't say that from like a righteous sort of way. I always knew shit was fucked up. And they kept telling me that it wasn't. And anybody who asks me now to abandon that truth, I can't. I, can't. Mm-hmm. I can have a, a cordial, superficial connection with that person, but I can't. Mm-hmm. I'm in a state too. I've got privilege to do that. Being a therapist, I have access to a lot of people who are doing the same deep work mm-hmm. and can meet me really in this space of truth. And that's a privilege. 
but I can't go back. Mm, wow. One of my friends, she's a black woman and she's going what what feels like on the outside, like an awakening for herself in finally allowing herself to step out of the superwoman schema and into who she really is. And that's a question that she asked me too. She's like, my family's like, oh, I'm not oppressed, but we are because we're black. So Mm. how do I have a relationship with them? And I said, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I can't give you that answer, Mm -hmm. but how painful this must be to start really seeing your family clearly and to know that they can't see you anymore. Oh, or maybe they never could. Right. Mm. And I think it's important for people to realize, like, those are the stakes. This is everything. Yeah. This is what's at stake. Mm -hmm. But you can either walk a path, ignore yourself or make the decision. Because either way, you're making a decision, but you can either make a decision or you can make the decision. You can make it consciously or not consciously. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a spectrum, too. It's not just either I'm authentic or I'm not. Mm -hmm. I think there's probably some similar thing to like a coming out process. And I don't mean to like necessarily take this away from the LGBT community, but the process of really, truly coming into one's authentic self, Mm. despite an environment that is not welcoming to that. I mean, Mm. it sounds pretty similar to me, right? And the relationships that end, but also the excitement that comes from allowing yourself to be yourself for the first time, you know? That's so hard. Mm-hmm. And there has to be some heartbreak with that. Always. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I have these conversations and it feels like it's something that I'll go back to years from now and go like, oh, that fucking moment was real special. Mm-hmm. And the lessons that I'll continue to get from like one conversation are so incredible. And that's, I've, and I don't even identify as a Christian anymore, but I feel the presence of God in this conversation. I do too. Yeah. We're sisters now, whether you like it or not. So it's done deal. This is how relationships are made. We've got to wrap up shortly, but I at least want to ask you the wounded healer question before we go. Do you consider yes. yourself a wounded healer? I will say yes. I turned 36 in October and I'm like, this is going to be my, my Phoenix year. Like me Mm -hmm. rising from the ashes of expectations, rising from the ashes of traumas, some dysfunction that I developed, picked up on the way. Like I'm in this shaken space. But as I ascend to some of these aerial views, I get like perspective on some things that were very foreign to me once upon a time, like to see it up close. You see things differently from above than when you're right there in it. Right. But as I'm in my constant spaces of ascension, I'm determined to take the lessons of that and share. And that's what I use my gifts for. There is damage that I've done to myself Mm -hmm. that I had to acknowledge that I did that. I did that. Mm. And in those places of ownership and accountability, I'm learning how to be empowered for real, for real. There's nothing that I've experienced like I'm talking about owning, owning myself. Part of that is owning my own shit mm-hmm. without the fear of being displaced. Mm-hmm. And if I could give my coming through the trenches life experience share to somebody else, it would be that caveat there. Like if you really want to know true self-empowerment, I want to be accountable for your stuff because you can learn how to stitch up a wound for yourself. And also help somebody else who's doing the same thing or who has been there 
And that has been such a great point of reflection so far. We hear what? This is what? February 2021? Mm -hmm. And I'm just getting like there for real. It's a completely different eye-opening experience. I don't know if I answered your question like you wanted me to answer, but that's just what came to mind. Literally anything that comes out of your mouth is what I want to hear. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think I have the capacity to speak from my scars in a way that can self-heal, self-reflect, and help somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think we've literally talked about all of the important things today, and I am certain that listeners are going to pee their pants with excitement <laughs> over all of this. So I'm not paying anybody's cleaning bills though. So <laughs> y'all put on your depends before. <laughs> I just really hope that what I've offered does help someone else. And please, if there was something that was ever unclear, you feel like, can you elaborate? Please feel free. Mm-hmm. I- I'm open, especially to your listeners. Feel free to hit me up and ask me any questions. Yeah. Well, where can they find you? Tell them all your, all your stuff. So Instagram handle is Dr. Davia, D-A-V-I-A-J-N-L. Uh, my middle name is Janelle. So that was like my short script for it. So you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Davia J-N-L, or you can find us at Visit and Black. Our website is also visitandblack.com and all of our contact information for myself and uh, the other executive members are on there as well. Mm-hmm. Or if you just feel like you just need some encouragement and want to see what's going on with people and how they're you know, maneuvering through this thing called life and what they can offer in a space of communal support. Absolutely. Well, this has been literally the best thing that has happened to me this week. And thank you because I've been so tired and this like ignited my soul today. That is exactly how I feel. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for the invitation. So has your life changed? I hope it is. I hope you found that important as much as we did. Or maybe it's just me and Davia and we'll just be best friends (laughs) forevermore. To learn more about Davia, you can visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thank you so much to the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Take care. Mm -hmm.